everybody, and welcome to Healthy Living. I'm Chef AJ, and my guest today is Dr. Jennifer Morano. Dr. Morano is the co-founder of True North Health in Santa Rosa. So please welcome Dr. Morano. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to you a long, for a long time because you, you, you know something about a topic that's really, really interesting to my listeners. But before we talk about that, you know, assuming there are people out there that have not yet heard of True North Health, tell us a little bit about this wonderful place in Santa Rosa that you co-founded with your husband, Dr. Alan Goldhammer, I think about 30 years ago. Yes, it is, uh, just about 30 years ago. Um, well, True North Health is a, is a health education facility. Um, and we like to educate people about diet and lifestyle, and we specialize in the use of of water-only fasting for people when it's appropriate. And when when people do these fasts, it helps them make the transition from a typical American diet to a more healthful diet, and it makes it a lot easier for people to do that. We also use it uh, to treat some chronic conditions that are the result of many, many years of poor diet. Um, it's what, a, you know, don't, it's you, a, don't you think that most chronic conditions are the result of poor diet, though? I mean, th- when you really think about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> most of them are. I mean, there are, there are inherited diseases. Sure. There are... Um, you know, there there's sometimes chronic pain due to to traumatic injury in the past but but the vast majority you're right are are due to diet and yeah. lifestyle lack of exercise lack of sleep you know just um, living in a modern way that isn't always a healthy way exactly and now you said you do this this therapeutic water fasting when appropriate in what cases may it not be appropriate because the reason i'm asking that dr morano is i was not able to fast but i still had great benefit from coming to true north as a non-faster because you offer another you know level of of care oh sure i mean they, we can do modified fast water fast i mean a juice fast uh, we can just do strictly diet. We've had people stay as long as a year yes. just do a healthful diet and still get ter- terrific results. Yes. There are mm-hmm. you know, some some kidney problems um, or if a person is severely underweight, there, there are situations where we wouldn't use water fasting. Um, but we can use modified diets uh, mm-hmm. in order to, to achieve the same results. It may take a little bit longer uh, getting your results while feeding, but you know the, the end point is the same, and we want to do it safely, and um, and and get the results. You know, we certainly aren't. You don't want to do something that would hurt someone. Sure. I just wanted to make that point clear because if people were listening and they're either afraid of fasting, you know, I want them to know because I've been to True North many times, both as a patient and as a guest chef, and you don't have to fast. You can still get wonderful benefit from seeing these doctors and getting the education. And like you say, eating the food, that's really, at the end of the day, that's what's really going to make these people well is learning to eat the food and like the food. Would you not agree? That And your food's amazing. Oh, definitely. Yes, I definitely agree. Now, uh, that's, that's just really curious. important. Now, you, I, I look at you, and I, I couldn't believe I met you four years ago when I was a patient there. And I'm not going to say your age because I always, always told you you're never supposed to say a woman's age or weight. But when you told me your age, I honestly thought you were 20 years younger than the age you told me. Do you think the fact that you've followed such a healthy lifestyle has anything to do with how amazing you look? Or is it just genetic? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> but, you're welcome. Uh, 
I do, I really do feel that my physical condition has everything to do with my diet and lifestyle in the 33 or 34 years since I, I met Dr. Goldhammer. Um, I, you know, I really do. I, I look at other people in my family. I look at, you know, people who've been friends for a long time. I look at the people in my my walking group and, and you know, who I've known for close to 15 years now. And I really do think that that a lot of the, the difference has to do with the diet so and, and the exercise, you know, the, the whole lifestyle. So before you met Dr. Goldhammer, were you following a different diet than the one you follow and teach today to your patients? Oh, yes. I, you know, I, even though I was a biology and chemistry major in college, we never studied you know, diet. Um, mm-hmm. Nutrition just wasn't, wasn't something that, that I learned about. But I did happen on a few books early on, the first of them being the, the Pritikin books. Yes. And I was just watching I an looked at those. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Pritikin book really made me start thinking about you know what I'm eating. And and then uh, the other was the aerobics books by um Kenneth Cooper. And I realized that, you know, I grew up in a time when when the women, you know, the the girls in high school didn't really have a serious exercise program. The boys did sports. The girls we're in a gymnasium with almost a hundred people, <laughs> and if whatever sport we did, like playing basketball, if you got yeah. to shoot the basketball twice in the forty-five minute period, yeah. that was a lot. Right. So I wasn't in the habit of exercising, and I wasn't uh, in the habit of paying attention to what I was eating. Mm. And those two books were the first two things that really brought this to my attention. And so by the time I met Dr. Goldhammer. Um, you know, I had started to change my diet, and I mm-hmm. certainly had incorporated exercise. Um, but I was not even vegetarian, let alone vegan. Wow, interesting. Um, so how did he influence you? Yeah. Because I've got to say, Dr. Goldhammer really is, is, is one of my heroes, and he's one of the most influential people in my life. And what I think is so neat about him is I, I can't remember my literature very well from high school. I can't remember if it was Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, but in one of those books, there's a there's a, a a chapter where he was punished and he had to whitewash this fence as a punishment. So oh, instead, Sawyer, yes. yeah. So instead, what he made it do is he sounded like it was really fun and got all his friends to do his work. And for me, Dr. Goldhammer, he takes this diet, which other people may seem extreme, but he makes it just like like. He's so smart and he's so convincing that it's just like, why wouldn't you do what he says, especially if you want the results, you know? And when I met him, I was I'm almost 50 pounds heavier than I was now. And I wasn't actually going to True North for losing weight. I was going for another reason. But he made it so enrolling and it made it seem so possible that if I did what he said I could get the results and I actually did but I want to thank you Dr. Morano because there was something you said in one of your regular lectures at True North in January of 2011 that forever changed the way I ate and the way I teach people now and you were the first person in the plant-based movement and what you said is as you know the food that you serve at True North is the most health-promoting food on the planet it's, it's all whole food, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, small amounts of nuts and seeds for certain people, and no sugar, oil, and salt. You can't get any cleaner or any healthier. And the first time I met you, we were your, your lecture was a little bit about weight loss, and you said to the group, you said, I can't eat all this food and be slim. And there's a 
a lot of people in our plant-based movement, and I don't, I don't think they mean to do this on purpose, but a lot of them are male. A lot of them have never been overweight, have never had issues like I have with anorexia, bulimia, food addiction, emotional eating. And there seems to be a, an idea out there that as long as it's whole food plant-based and no oil, you can eat all you want. And you were the first person that said, no, that's not true. And I remember when I met you, to me, you looked perfect. You had said you wanted to lose about 10 pounds and you ended up doing that in a way that we're going to talk about today. But you were the first person that said, no, you just can't eat all the avocado you want. You can't just eat all the oats you want. And I thank you so much because finally somebody who was a doctor and a leader in the plant-based movement finally said to us, you know, there are probably people that can, like my husband, like like Doug Lyle. But but you explained yeah. that if you're a female, that's not us. And you helped me so much because you were the first person that said it. Well, I'm really glad that that made an impact. It did. But, you know, it, it took me a while to, to to kind of come to grips with that myself. Yeah, and and, and so it, it's it, it's amazing to me. And then you know, like I said, when I saw you, you looked fine to me. But you know, you're you're a petite woman. You're not tall, and so I can understand that when you're even a few pounds heavier than you want to be when you're when you're petite, like my sister, you know, you wanted to uh, do something about it, and you did. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today because it's something that I learned from you, and then I teach a lot of my students, especially those that are very close to their ideal weight. It's not necessarily for people that are, you know, very overweight, which most Americans are, but you did something called intermittent fasting. And I'd love for you to tell us what that is. Okay, intermittent fasting. It's it's really um, a, a complex of things, but but mainly what it is, is allowing your body some time when it's not eating. Mm. Um, in in our typical society, um, people just eat all the time. You, they eat when they wake up. They have a morning <laughs> snack. They eat at lunch. They have an afternoon snack. They eat dinner. They have an evening snack. They have a pre-bedtime snack. <laughs> There's never a time when they're not eating. Right. Uh, their Their bodies are constantly processing this food that we put in, and it takes the body... You know, at least eight to twelve hours, depending on the person, to clear that out. Mm-hmm. And by that time, you know, we don't normally sleep twelve hours. So by the time someone wakes up in the morning, they haven't even cleared out the day before's food, and they start eating again. And so, consequently, our body never goes into that mode where it has to use up the the leftovers from all the previous weeks and months, mm-hmm. and it just keeps piling on more. And there are a lot of physiological reasons that that happens, um, which I, I probably shouldn't go into too much. But, I mean, it, one of them is just insulin level. Mm-hmm. When you eat all the time, you know, your body has to keep pumping out insulin in order to deal with the breakdown products of the food. And if your insulin is always... On the high side, even if it's not uh, dangerous, such as like in, in diabetes, you know, um, but if you always have a fairly high level of insulin, insulin promotes fat storage, which sure. means it takes the fat from your blood and, and puts it into fat cells. Mm-hmm. And if you never give your body a chance to actually be hungry, then there's never a time when your body has to take fat out of the fat cells and use it to 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 exist, you know, to keep on living. Um, 
So what intermittent fasting is, is different eating strategies where you give your body some time to use your stores. And in order to use your fat storage, your body has to have the proper enzymes to do that, to break down fat and turn it into energy that you can use. Mm-hmm. So um, normally, well, not normally, but in our ancestral past, when, when people were hunters and gatherers, uh, this wasn't a problem because there were always times when people were hungry. Right. They weren't, they they weren't eating food. three meals. They weren't eating three meals a day and snacks. And that's the other thing I want our listeners to know that that's a, that's something we invented, you know, these the, the three meal a day thing. That's that's not like in history. Oh no no it didn't, no that didn't used to happen. Uh, right. No. For one thing, there wasn't all that food. Uh-huh. And for another, people didn't have time. They had to work. They had to right. go out and grow the crops and and hunt the 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 animals or gather the nuts and seeds and you know they had a lot of work to do. They didn't sure. have time to sit around snacking. Right, and they weren't you know, overweight. I, as, a, as a consequence, they were not overweight, our ancestors. No, no, not unless they were extremely wealthy. Right. Uh, they, <laughs> uh, they didn't get a chance to get overweight. You know, I, all of this kind of, um, it, it just keeps bringing me back to this whole motivational triad idea that we talk about. At, at True North, we talk about the pleasure trap. And right, how, a great book, by the Pete, way. Yeah, we, let's, let's tell our listeners about the book because it's one of my favorite books of all time, uh, co-written by your husband, Dr. Alan Goldhammer, and Dr. Doug Lyle. And it, it is a must-read. It, it is it's just such a brilliant book. Right, and and it's in some ways it's so simple, but this motivational triad that everybody is trying to avoid pain. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. They seek pleasure. Sure. That makes sense, and and they want to do it. In in a way that conserves the most energy possible. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were a cave person, this makes sense. You know, you avoid pain, so you avoid trying to get to be eaten by wild animals or mm-hmm. beat up by somebody. You're avoiding pain. You're seeking pleasure, which is mostly food and sex in in that time. And you need to try to do it as efficiently as possible because when you're already having to expend a huge amount of energy. Um, all day long, if you are sloppy about it and like walk twice as far as you need to, or or you know any or lift twice as much weight as you have to, or whatever, you uh, you don't compete well against people who are doing things more efficiently. Mm-hmm. But when you translate that into modern life, you seek pleasure, so you like to eat. Sure. The food is there; it's all around you, and so you keep eating it because it feels good to eat. <laughs> and <laughs> and yep. you don't exercise because, well, you know, it's not that comfortable. Yeah, it's and, also energy conservation. You know, what if I have to get, you know, chase a chase a deer later? You know, I I can't exercise now and use them. Yeah, so you know, so you don't do anything that you really have to, and and uh, so you're avoiding your pain. You're trying to conserve energy. You're seeking pleasure. Um, but it backfires because all of these things are so plentiful that that you you know your your own good instincts are backfiring and causing you a problem. Mm. Um, so this this whole uh, intermittent fasting thing is where you impose some discipline on yourself to give your body a break. Mm-hmm. But if you if you get too extreme about it, 
like if you if you uh tell somebody, "Oh, just just go for a week without eating." Well, yeah. that's something you need to do under supervision. You can, sure. It's not something you would do on your own. Uh so the problem is to figure out a way to do it uh without causing yourself actual pain. Discomfort is different. Right. And really I, mix it's, up. Not, it's not that hard. You know, I tried it myself just because I don't like to mm-hmm. recommend. And, you know, it's funny because I used to be a respiratory therapist and we had to do things to patients like suction them and do blood gases. And I wouldn't do anything to a patient that I hadn't had done on myself because I really am an empathetic person. Oh. And by the way, I did, did, did not like being suctioned or having my blood gas drawn. But so I tried it, not that I need to lose weight. And, you know, it really isn't that hard. And we've used it on some of the people that are my clients that have also been in True North just to get those last 10 10 pounds off just by narrowing the feeding window and it and they don't it's not that extreme because yes. really at the end of the day it's like it's like missing breakfast that's what we're telling people to do and there's this precept that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and people have had that drummed into their head but I think it was you that taught me that that research was done by the cereal industry talk about that talk about why breakfast is not really <laughs> the most important meal of the day they really they have done several studies in the past couple years Um, and what they find is that it doesn't make any difference in terms of health in terms of weight loss whether you have breakfast or don't have breakfast some people like to eat breakfast sure fine some people don't like to eat breakfast it doesn't hurt them Mm -hmm. it's it's really not the most important meal of the day Um, you mean it's not the most important meal of the day if you're eating, you know, it has to be eaten at a certain time. Yeah. If you postpone your first meal of the day until midday, that it's not a big deal and it won't hurt you. And and it and it, it's a lot of propaganda. And I think you're you're right by the uh, by the cereal industry. Um, there was a study that was done way way back with school children. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that the kids who came to school without breakfast didn't do as well as the children who came to school who had eaten breakfast. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't correct for is the fact that the kids who came to school without breakfast came from very poor families where they really weren't getting enough to eat. Mm. So it wasn't just a matter of them not having breakfast. They, they just didn't, have, didn't enough have enough food. dinner. Yeah, interesting. interesting. You know, they, they're hungry and yeah. they're irritable and they probably had families where education wasn't the, the highest priority. And the kids who came to school who had had breakfast were probably from families who were very interested in school, very interested in their children, were were trying to do everything so, so as they would succeed. It wasn't the breakfast per se that really made the difference. It was the whole lifestyle of these sure. different children. And they never really uh, did any more experiments after that. They just pronounced that breakfast was the most important meal. Yeah. And that really wasn't warranted um, based on 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 real life that just wasn't enough information to to make a sweeping statement like breakfast is the most important meal and what they were telling them and what they were telling them to eat wasn't what you or I would consider a healthy breakfast which would be a box sugary cereal with with cow puss on it you know sure. so, so right. you know it's interesting because right. you know again I think it, one of the things I also learned at True North because I've been there so many times even though I personally have never fasted when I've worked in the kitchen I've delivered food to people as they were breaking the fast and many people fast for up to 42 days that's six weeks and so my feeling is is if there are people that aren't even overweight that can go six weeks without eating I can skip breakfast once in a while. You know, I'm not going to drop that. <laughs> and, and I noticed because, you know, 
it's yeah. funny because my husband is just naturally slender. He's six feet, 140 pounds. He, you know, him and Doug Lyle could probably wear each other's clothes. He wakes up in the morning and he's starving. And it's like, he, it's like if he has to have a blood test or something, he's like suffering. But my whole life, I've never woken up hungry. And my feeling is, is that we shouldn't eat if we're not hungry. You know, I mean, that's, that's our body telling us that something. Don't you think we should kind of listen a little oh, bit? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, to, to force yourself to eat when you're not hungry, um, it's counterproductive. Yeah. That, your, that's, your body does have a hunger mechanism to tell you when it when it wants food. And, yeah. And so, and, you know. And, you know, I think, I think sometimes whether a person eats breakfast or not, what can be equally as important is what they're eating. And if you eat a breakfast like a true north, where, you know, we're, we're served a 24-hour salad bar, where we're getting steamed vegetables, where we're getting some oats. That's way different than what a lot of people are, are eating for breakfast now, which are, you know, some kind of sugary coffee drink or, or a donut. You know, I always think about Jack LaLanne who said you wouldn't wake your dog up and give him a cup of coffee, a cigarette, and a donut. But how many Americans <laughs> are doing that to themselves? That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, Jack LaLanne had, I mean, it was really interesting he had so many things to say that really ring true over the, over all the decades that he's oh he was he was that, really one of my heroes. Known to. yeah he used to say the only the only good part of the donut is the hole and you know <laughs> <laughs> so that was yeah. You know, he had I, a lot of things like that. I, I so wish I would have been able to meet him. And, and even Pritikin, who you mentioned, was influential in in your uh, transition. You know, I don't remember exactly what time frame it was that Pritikin was around. I remember that when I lived where I live now in Sherman Oaks, I believe it was the '80s. He had these Pritikin centers, and I wish I had the interest you know, as I do now, but I was just listening to an interview with Doc, with Nathan Pritikin today, and it had to be done at least 20, if not 30 years ago. And what he was saying back then, it's exactly like what you guys teach at True North. There's very little difference. And people were asking him, well, you know, what about coffee and alcohol? And and this was even before the research we have now that, that drinking even a little bit of alcohol every week increases your risk of breast cancer. He didn't even know back then he was saying, well, you know, he was just saying it's not good. It's not good. And, you you know, th- those things at True North are not recommended either, you know, coffee and alcohol as part of a healthy sure. diet. So. So you guys are a little bit before your time. So where did you learn about intermittent fasting? And, and do you practice it today? And how long have you been doing it? And how does it look in your life if you do do it? Okay. Um, I I became aware of it oh, probably you know, two two to three years ago. I started hearing, well, it was, I actually, it must have been 2012. Um, someone, and I don't even remember who now, uh, forwarded me um, a link to a BBC TV show mm. put on by Dr. Michael Mosley. And this was oh, in yes. the summer of 2012. Um, and I, you know, it, because fasting was in the title and because I've worked with fasting, I, I clicked on it. And it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. It, I, I mean, I, I had not, I mean... When we do fasting, we usually do extended periods of fasting, um, and during that, you know, your body goes through different changes, and it sort of seemed like just doing short periods of fasting wouldn't be effective. But when I looked at this video and, and saw the changes that happened in Dr. Mosley himself uh, over a period of three months, and in the particular type of uh, well, he, what he did is he went through all the 
the research and he visited different researchers and and talked about all the different forms of intermittent fasting you know from from really severe calorie restriction where people try to restrict their calories 30 to 40% of what a normal mm. person would eat mm. every day that would be which hard is really draconian and Ooh. and it has its drawbacks because mm-hmm. people who do that can become very weak they become very skinny um it, it it can if if it started at a young age it can result in stunting and then he went on to people who who did things like alternate day fasting mm. where one day they would eat normally the next day they would eat um a very small amount anywhere from 500 to 650 calories for the day mm-hmm. and then you know he he experimented with that and he found what he didn't like about that was that he could never predict if someone said, hey, do you want to do such and such next Saturday? Well, he'd have to look at his calendar and count <laughs> to see if that was one of the every other days when he could mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he um, talked to some other people uh, um, who were actually doing some experiments so, with women who were at, at grave risk for breast cancer who were doing a, a 5-2 plan where five days a week they ate normally and the other two days, they really restricted their calories down to 500 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And um, and he saw that where they compared women who did that uh, to women who restricted themselves every day to 1,500 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he showed you know the differences in their results in terms of weight loss and uh, the the origin of the tissues that are lost. I, I found that very interesting mm. that the people who did the intermittent fasting lost between 85 and 100% of their weight as fat whereas the people who restricted their calories every day lost 75% fat and 25% muscle. That's better. That's is, what, yeah. Cause that's you don't what, want to lose muscle. You know, that's... Yeah, we want... You really don't... You, right? you, you want to keep your muscle. You want to lose... Fat. The fat, sure. When, yes, so uh, you know, so that was very interesting. Um, he even tried in this video a four-day fast, and showed the results from that. Um, anyway, that 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 video really just opened my eyes about this uh, intermittent fasting, and so then I began searching the internet, and uh, all sorts of things were being written about it, were being studied about it. There are just all kinds of studies. And that culminated actually just a few weeks ago in an article that was published in, let's see, it's called Cell, a a journal called Cell, uh, Cell Metabolism Review. And this uh, was by a Dr. Walter Longo. Oh, I know him. I mean, yeah, from USC. I've corresponded with him a few times. Yes. Yes, he's been to the center. He's uh, talked to Dr. Goldhammer, and uh, you know he started with uh, doing intermittent fasting um, studies on animals, and he has moved on to where he's doing some human trials, the results of which have not been published uh, yet, which will be in the next few years. This is really exciting time for yeah. fasting mm-hmm. because all these studies are going on. I mean, animal studies have happened for many, many years, but. Uh, the the studies on on humans are just getting started, but anyway, he wrote a very very interesting, oh, multi-page, you know, it must be ten twelve pages 
of all the physiological mechanisms and why fasting works and you know, what what happens in your body uh when you when you fast that um, I had a friend who was saying, well, there's there's no justification for all of this. I, I said, here, do you want to see the justification? And I gave her this article by Dr. Longo. The next day she gave it back. She said, I couldn't get past the first page. Oh, I couldn't understand it. Well, you know, <laughs> but, you, 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 know mentioned, you mentioned animals. You know, when you think about it, Dr. Morano, except for our domesticated dogs and domesticated cats, there's no overweight animals in nature, and they don't eat every day. They certainly don't eat three meals a day, and they don't eat every day. So they're sort of doing intermittent fasting whether they want to or not. Yes, they are. They are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just hard to convince people. When, when you mention not having a meal, I, yeah. you get this look of horror from people. That's not healthy. That's not safe. <laughs> But it's uh, so funny. But what it is, it's not comfortable. Yeah. And in so much of our modern, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. We have gotten really addicted to comfort. Yes. Oh, I, I don't agree. like to step outside our comfort zone. I agree. I'm, I've become a little bit of a princess. You know, it, I live in Southern California, and it rained yesterday for like an hour, and it was like, oh, you're kidding. I actually have to walk yeah, right. in the rain. It's like, <laughs> what am I, going to melt? You know, but you're right. I think our modern society has made so many conveniences that when when we have to rough it, it's like, oh, boy. It's like, you know, it's, it, you're right. I think we are. We're we're addicted to the comfort. I, I Even such simple things as temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we oh. have thermostats in our houses. We sure. have we want the temperature in a really narrow range that makes us happy. Uh, that is so or funny. Cause I, I I interviewed one of the people that came to True North, Ray Cronice, who did the NASA scientist who did some research with temperature and suggested that we turn mm-hmm. it down at night. And I'm like one of these people that jacks the heat up to 80, sleeps on a heated waterbed. And I, and you're right. You know, I think this this motivational triad of of seeking pleasure. I think we we've taken it a bit too far in our society. <laughs> Because we're seeking it all the time because pleasure is so pleasurable. But that's actually why we're, <laughs> probably why we're in trouble. Yeah. You know, this intermittent fasting, because I did, I remember the documentary by Mosley that you talked about. I actually watched it on YouTube. And if I remember correctly, the people in England that were doing it, they were not eating the kind of diet that you and I eat, a health-promoting diet. They were just eating anything, no. you know, the standard American diet, and they were still getting that's some right. results. So I'm thinking if the people that you and I know that are already eating pretty healthy health promoting diet do this with the diet we're on i think the results could be even greater or just as good for sure yes oh definitely yes you know I, when he talked about some of the stuff he was eating after he broke his fast i mean it was it made me cringe yeah but he did fine he pro, he he lists his pre and post uh results in terms of his blood values unbelievable changes that's just incredible. Three months of two days a week fasting and then eating crap the rest of the time, he lost 19 pounds. That's incredible. And it was all fat. That, yeah. that, that yeah. is absolutely incredible. So there are certain days, like, for instance, I go spin three days a week. And when I spin, I'm just starving. And so I, ha- I bring my vegetables with me and I eat when I get off the bike. But a couple days a week, I uh-huh. do a very slow yoga class. Well, the yoga class is until 11. It goes from 11 to 1230. And I can't eat before I exercise, even yoga, even a banana. It just doesn't sit right with me. And so on those uh-huh. days, I'm doing intermittent fasting without really knowing that was what I was doing because my lunch isn't until 1 o'clock. And 
And because my dinner's at six, I've narrowed the feeding window. And, and so, you know, if I don't eat, presumably if I stop eating, you know, the night before at six or seven and don't eat again, you know, that's like 16 hours. So would you consider that a, a, a form of intermittent fasting? That is a form of intermittent fasting. Yeah. And, and, um, and I'm not suffering because, I mean, I know that I'm going to eat right after, you know, yoga. and That's right. And, and, and so many people, and, you know, I, I interviewed your husband, Dr. Goldhammer, twice, and this comes up a lot, is that so many people, especially those that complain that they can't lose weight, they're not just eating the two meals, three meals a day with snacks, but they eat into the night. And he was saying that that's the worst eating you can do because you're not going to run a marathon at night and those calories always get stored as fat. So even I think if we could, even if people didn't want to do intermittent fasting, if we could articulate that if they could just stop eating after dinner, that would be a tremendous benefit. It would be a tremendous benefit. Yes. Um, it would because then they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be just sending it straight into the storage bins. Right, right. You know, oh, it is what people are doing. If they could um, visually see that, you know, that would be, you know, if they could just see that what they're going in their mouth is going in their ass right away, you know, especially those after dinner, uh, you know, treats. Right. And that seems when, you know, that I know so many people that that seems to be when they get their most calories from after dinner to bedtime. It's like there's like one yes. munch, you know, munch session. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that is really important there, even for people who are normal weight, Mm-hmm. And for people who aren't in danger of putting on extra pounds by doing that, some of the other things that happen during the fasting period are very, very important to long-term health. And so I, I think it's important to talk about some of those. Sure, please do. Um, one of the things that happens in, a, in when you're fasting, even short-term fast, is this um, hormone called uh, a brain-derived neurotropic uh, hormone uh, increases the levels of it increase, and what it does is it stimulates brain stem cells to turn into brain neurons, hmm. particularly in the hippocampus, which is the area of the brain that's really important for learning and memory. And so, what they find is that if you are just eating on the, all the time and not exercising, you don't produce much of this BNF, uh, brain-derived neurotrophic uh, hormone. Um, Neurotrophic, yeah, anyway, you don't produce much of it, and so your brain can slowly deteriorate. Mm. Uh, They did some interesting studies with mice that had been, I hate talking about animal studies because it's so cruel to the animals, but it really does explain a lot of things that, happen. So they have these mice, this particular strain of mice, that develop um, Alzheimer's disease or the mouse equivalent of Alzheimer's disease at a very early age. Now, mice usually live about two years. Wow. These mice, if you feed them this uh, normal food, they develop Alzheimer's symptoms at 12 months. Wow. So they, they it's really early. It's the equivalent of people developing it, say, at, at 50 years of age, 45 oh. even. Mm-hmm. Um, if they put these animals on a really bad diet, if they feed them junk food, they they develop Alzheimer's symptoms between four and six months. Jeez. But if they feed them their normal lab rat chow, you know, and put them on alternate day fasting, 
so every other day they don't eat, mm-hmm. they don't develop Alzheimer's until they're 20 months old, which is like the equivalent of, for a human of being 90. So it delays the onset. It delays the onset. And the way that it does this is that it increases the production of this brain-derived neurotrophic uh, uh, hormone that stimulates brain cell growth. If you look at the mice that haven't been doing that, their hippocampus has shrunken and is really small. But if you look at the other mice, the ones that have been fasted periodically, their hippocampus is just like in a young mouse. Mm. And there is, they've been doing some modified you know, experiments with people because we can now use um, MRIs to see the size of the hippocampus in humans. Mm-hmm. And when you do this intermittent fasting in elderly humans, it seems like their hippocampus grows bigger rather than smaller. This is amazing. And this is good news because so much of our population now is, is is suffering with this disease. So many people have loved ones in their family that are, are either getting this disease or already have it. Yes, yeah, it, it's true. That is and, um, amazing. Um, Another another uh, thing is this um, the whole insulin problem. Um, yeah, you mentioned that earlier about uh, about that. I'd love for you to talk more about this because does does all eating stimulate the production of insulin, or just eating the wrong foods? Because you you said that insulin is responsible for what drives fat into the cells. Right. So, but be, besides insulin itself, there's this insulin-like growth factor, mm-hmm. IGF one. Is, is what it's called. IGF-1 is, it stimulates growth. And if you eat a lot of animal protein, you tend to have really high levels of IGF-1. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're a child, you need high levels of this because you are promoting growth. You're in the growth stage. But once you become an adult, you still need some but you don't need really, really high levels. There is a, you know, they have a range of what's normal. People who eat a high meat and high sugar and high fat diet, which is pretty much, the, which is pretty much everybody yeah. in the United States, except for you and me and the yes, yes, true north or Dr. McDougall. <laughs> That's right. Whereas people who eat um, a vegan diet have a much lower IGF-1 level. And what they're finding is that this IGF-1, by stimulating growth, also stimulates cancer. Wow. Cancer, one of the things about cancer cells is that they divide rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so if you have high IGF-1 levels and you should happen to get the mutations or whatever damage that happens to your cells that turns it into a possible cancer cell, you've got here you've got this possible cancer cell and then you've got something stimulating it to divide, divide, divide. And so it can make cancers progress more rapidly. It can make them more deadly. To keep this level low, there the thing, the different things that you can do. Uh, one is you can do intermittent fasting or regular fasting. Regular fasting, boy, after three or four days of regular fasting, those IGF-1 levels really go down. But just eating a vegan diet keeps it down in a reasonable level. And the other thing is to really cut the animal protein. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not even if you're not vegan. If you keep the amount of animal protein low, uh, you have a much lower level of IGF-1. 
So it's a um, so there are all these chemical things going on in your body that that promote health way into the future that can be impacted by doing intermittent fasting, either a narrow window where you're eating you know, six or eight hours out of the day and fasting the rest of the time, or throwing in a day or two a week of, of uh, modified eating where you just eat a 500 to 600 calories that day um, and then eat normally the other five days of the week. Uh, or for if you have a lot of weight to lose, if you just do alternate day fasting, the real small meal one day, what they find, it's really interesting. They thought at first that people would just binge the next day mm-hmm. and eat, you know, like 200% of what they would normally eat. But they don't. They they tend to eat about 110% of what they would normally eat. So that's so they make up for some of it. Do you think that's not too bad, you know? Yeah. Do you think when people are doing this narrow feeding window, let's say just eating like six hours a day, whether they, you know, eat breakfast and lunch and then skip dinner. I have some friends that are doing it that way. They're senior citizens and turn in early or if they're doing lunch and dinner. Do you think people, because they know they can only eat for six hours, are overeating or eating more during that time frame? They can. Mm -hmm. They can. But, you know, you get full if you're eating for six or eight hours. You know, you eat a certain amount and then you really don't (laughs) want it anymore. Um, I, you know, I think you can get around it and you can particularly get around it if you eat the wrong foods. Just just like eating whole natural foods, you you know, I can get around it. I just eat more rice or I eat more uh, whatever, you know, and... uh, I know. We we always find a way... We can always find a way to push the envelope, can't we? <laughs> yes, you can. So, you know, you have to kind of use common sense when you're doing this. Sure. It's not like, oh, you know, I'm I'm doing this so I can eat whatever I want. Right, exactly. You know, it's interesting you were talking about the protein and how just lowering the levels of protein, even if somebody doesn't want to be plant-based, will help because so many Americans are getting the opposite message that we need more protein and better protein and we have these paleo diets and all these high-protein diets, which are actually the, probably among the most disease-promoting diets that are out there, maybe even worse yeah, than the yeah. diet in some ways. Yeah, the the really high protein diets are bad, and yeah. uh, so you know the the jury's still out on the high fat. But uh, oh boy, you know, if it, it's uh, so you're why why is it so much harder for us women to lose weight? It doesn't seem very fair. Uh, no, it's not. But it's estrogen. <laughs> oh. Our bodies are designed to, to you know to to have children, and if you're gonna be pregnant and nursing and whatever, you need to be able to hold on to your calories. Sure, but... So it doesn't matter if we don't choose to have children or yeah. if we're too old to have children or whatever. It's the, not... The hormones are still there. Fair. I, I just, that always bothered me. It just doesn't seem fair, you know? So not how, fair. Not you, fair. You were mentioning earlier that, you know, sleep is important. How important is sleep? Why is it important? And how does it affect our ability to, to lose weight? Well, the... There have been some really interesting studies done lately about sleep. And this one, Time Magazine, uh, a few months ago, had a really interesting article. What they found is that during sleep, the cells in the brain squeeze down. They become really small, and they squeeze out a bunch of their fluid. And then it acts like a washing machine and just whooshes all that fluid with any toxins that are in the cells out and out into the cerebrospinal fluid and then into the bloodstream. And it's like it's like washing your brain out every night. 
And if you don't sleep enough, you don't actually get this happening. And so you have toxins building up in, in the brain. Mm. And, you know, um, so that's one of the reasons sleep is so important. Yeah. Um, and so many people... In terms of how it... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was going to say so many people don't sleep long enough or don't sleep adequate enough. They go to bed with their, you know, iPhones and they've got all these electronic devices in their bedroom and they really don't get quality sleep. Oh, correct. Yes. That's really one of the banes of our existence. Yeah, we got rid of of the TV in our bedroom. I mean, you know, once we heard about this, there's no TV in the bedroom anymore. Yes, right. Yeah, I like to... You know, if if I'm going to watch TV at all, I like to be finished with it by nine o'clock, and then I like to mm-hmm. take a warm bath and yeah. just relax. If I read, I try to not read on a on a electronic screen. I'll just read a, a book, a real mm-hmm. book, um, and just not expose my eyes to all that blue light from from electronic sure. screens, and you know, try to get. To, you know, to sleep at a decent hour. Right, because our ancestors didn't have this artificial light. They had to go to bed when it was dark, you know. They didn't have a choice. So they weren't they weren't watching okay. TV and snacking all night. You know, you talked about reading. You you are such an avid reader, and every book you've ever recommended to me has been just a great book. So I'm just curious, what are you, you know, you told me about Catching Fire, and that was a great book. What are you reading now? Oh, actually, right now I'm reading a book about exercise. Oh, yeah, let's talk about exercise because one of the things, you're you're a very fit person. I know that you, and, and tell people what you do, but you also talked about the high-intensity interval training that can kind of uh, complement the intermittent fasting. So why don't you tell us what you yeah. do and what that is? Okay. Well, exercise actually uh, uses some of the same mechanisms of, as fasting. It's really very complementary. I'm contemplating writing an article about the synergistic, combination of high intensity interval training and intermittent fasting. And, and I hope um, you will. Because <laughs> your article is um, in the NHA magazine about intermittent fasting and when we when we send this out we can provide a link to this fabulous article and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. So tell us about the exercise because a lot of people not a lot of people because not but there are people that eat healthily but that still haven't got, been bitten by that exercise bug. So tell us, you know, about right. Because that that seems, it almost seems harder to get people to exercise than it does to get them to eat a salad. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's again, you know, this comfort zone. You know, you they they don't want to push outside that comfort zone, and and uh, and they and they're fighting their their instinct to be uh, to conserve energy. So it takes a bit of a push, but. If people can push a bit beyond it, you start getting an actual pleasure from the exercise. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the trick is uh, to get yourself to do it in the first place. And, and yeah. for people who don't like it, um, there are all kinds of interesting devices. I, I, I exercise plenty, but I decided I had to have one of these uh, these activity and sleep trackers. So I, mm. I got a Fitbit. Oh, nice! Because Costco had a big sale. Oh, great! And and it counts your steps, and it Neat. translates it into miles, and it sure. translates it into to how many calories you've burned, and it also, if you keep it on at night, tells you how many hours you're asleep, how many times you wake up at night, Ooh. that sort of thing. So it really gives you a lot of information about your body, um, and you can also 
you can interface it on a uh, a computer. Like my, I just found out that my sister has one too. All right, so now I'm her friend on Fitbit. <laughs> it's like I see how many. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it's like friends. I on can Fitbit. see how many steps she does in a day. Well, you know, she's a chiropractor and she's on her feet all day long. Uh, I don't do that anymore. You know, I, I I do all the paperwork and and everything. And so I'm looking at her steps, and boy, she takes a lot more steps than I do. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So no it's com- getting me up no out of my chair. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but anyway, I, I mean, I do I do yoga three days a week. Mm-hmm. I I do a step aerobic class three days wow. a week. I do a weight training class, uh, or actually one class and one on my own of weight training, I do my high-intensity interval training, which is a real interesting kind of workout because it's fast. It's only 20 to, I sometimes stretch it to 30 minutes, but really it's a 20-minute workout. You get on a, you can do it anywhere, but I do it on an exercise bike because I can do that any time. I don't have a good track to run on. But what you do is you warm up for a few minutes. I do about five minutes warm-up, and then... I go all out as fast as I can pedal that thing, and I and I also move up the resistance a bit for 20 to 30 seconds, depending on how active I'm feeling that day. And then I ease back, and I just pedal more slowly for about 90 seconds, and then I'll do it again, all out. And I do about five, five to six repetitions of that. I'd like to eventually get to eight. I don't know why. It just appeals to me. But, um, so you're only really doing, by the end of it, if you if you do it, uh, you know, say six times, you're only really doing three minutes of really intense exercise. And the rest of it's just kind of yeah. pedaling along and recovering. And you do this uh, twice a week. And the results from it are way beyond what you would expect, Um compared to things like uh, you know going out and running for an hour. There have been all kinds of studies. This is another, this is what I've been reading about in this book by Gretchen Reynolds. She's a, a columnist for the New York Times. She puts out a, uh, an article every Wednesday about different aspects of fitness and, and, uh, and health in general. She's, she's quite a good writer. Uh, but this book is specifically about exercise. And what's it called and, again? Uh, about, what's the name of the book? It's called The First 20 Minutes. Mm, interesting. And she talks about how that, that first 20 minutes is the real important thing in your in your exercise regime. And she talks about different kinds of exercise and how they're important. But um, Oh, and Michael Mosley wrote a book called Fast Exercise. After he did his Fast Diet book, he did another one of these BBC TV programs mm-hmm. on high-intensity interval training. And he uh, he wrote a book about it that, that talks about just a really easy way to do it. And even people who hate exercise can get talked into doing this because it yeah. takes so little time. Right. It's, it and sounds he has, like, them, sounds like he a has great... them just do three intervals. Mm-hmm. And he does three intervals... 20 seconds hard, as hard as you can go, and, and then, you you know, about two, a minute and a half or so of rest between. And that's it. And he shows, again, his results before and after and how much it impacts his fitness. And um, it really is a, a, 
an easy way to get people to start exercising. And after sure. that, once you and really that, start liking it, that's true. Because once you really want to do other stuff, exactly. And then once you see what it does for you, and uh, and it makes you feel better and improves your self esteem, and it's just, and you get to eat a little bit more. So I mean, so it's it's it's, <laughs> it's one of those things I didn't do until I was in my fifties, but now I understand that without it, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, one of the things I learned after I lost this fifty pounds is that without that that exercise isn't necessarily as important for weight loss, but it's really very important to prevent weight gain and so once I heard that it was like okay I'm in you know because I don't want this I don't want this back so you have children and you have grandchildren and we have a lot of people that listen to healthy living that have the problem of trying to get their spouse or their children to eat healthy now it doesn't seem like that was a problem for you but how how were you able to manage raising your your kids healthy in an unhealthy world any advice you can give to parents Uh, well the the unfortunate thing is, you know, of my two children, one of them is like the perfect poster child for healthy yeah. living. I bet you're talking about I bet you're talking about Gar. He's adorable. I love him. Oh yes. <laughs> he looked. He, he started this way. You know, he yeah. doesn't know anything else. Sure. Here's a kid who's never tasted ice cream. Oh boy. <laughs> he would get taunted by his cousins. You can eat. I, I can eat ice cream, and you can't. He says so. <laughs> but he's never had ice cream. He he doesn't. It doesn't seem like a hardship to him. Yeah. And you know when people get on me about it, they how can you deny him ice cream? I said, well, how do you deny your kids heroin? Doesn't heroin make people feel good? And then they get all healthy about it. You're <laughs> But it's it's a lot harder to make kids. Um, change once you let them get exposed to the it's, to the bad yeah. things because they're addictive all yep. this yeah high sugar high fat dairy high food. salt yeah foods all are addictive yeah uh and and you know so it's really hard uh, i mean i have trouble with my own grandchildren because my daughter um came along before i ever got started with any of this sure. and so that, mm. you know once i made the change uh she wasn't willing to Wow. And if she'll exercise, you know, just as much as you want, she'll exercise. But she refuses to give up the things that she's addicted to. Right. So note to parents, make the change before you have the kids, because then it's going to be a lot easier. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the you, only other thing is that parents can give a good example. Right. Exactly. You I remember, told me having, you I told remember me. having patients who... You know, would do all the things they had to for one kid because the kid had allergies or whatever, and then they let the other kids eat all this crap. Yeah. And it, all it did was drive the first kid crazy. Aww. But if parents eat the, in a healthful way, mm-hmm. and that's all there is in the house, then you know that's what they yeah. do. And you know, parents have to get over this. Oh, he'll starve. I have to give oh. him, you know, Twinkies, or he's he's going to starve to death. He's not going to starve to death. Right, exactly. Kids will not starve. I love what your husband says, that good health is the result of healthful living. You you shared a story with me once, and if I if I say it incorrectly, please correct me, but something to the effect of when Gar was, I don't know how old, you were at some kind of function, and there were cupcakes, and I guess he brought a oh, cupcake hey. over to you and said, Mom, can I have this? And your answer was, I, 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 may, I, I should have you tell a story, but it was something like where you said to him, you said, well, yeah, you could have it, but if you have it, these would be the consequences, and you talked to him like as if he was a adult like saying you know if you eat this you're going to really like it. it's going to be really good you're going to be addicted to it and then you said he like just put the cupcake away yeah you know i i you know he 
he listened to me. He, you know, he, he said, okay. You know, he turned around, he left, and then I, I saw him two minutes later. He had no cupcake in his hand, you know, and I yeah. thought, oh, all right. He ate it already, and I said, yeah. oh, so did, you know, what did you think? He said, oh, I decided I didn't want to get into all that. Oh, what so a put smart kid! What a smart kid! He's just amazing. He, he, you know, and he's only thirty and he looks fifteen. So obviously, there's something to be said about this way of eating. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I also like about you because I find uh, Dr. Ron, I find you so much more relatable. Mainly, maybe because you are a female and that you understand the 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 difficulties some of us women have with this. Um, you know, I make that really delicious raw granola that I sometimes give your husband. Oh God. <laughs> I love the fact that you call it crack and won't let it in your house because that's exactly how I feel about it. And I'm the one that's making it. And I was told a long time ago <laughs> by a recovering alcoholic that you should never get high on your own supply. And I just think it's great because it just shows that you're human. And one of the things we teach in our ultimate weight loss program is that if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And I love that you said, look, no, we're not bringing that stuff in the house. And yet it was a whole natural food. It just was one of these hyper right, right. creations with a lot of dates and a lot of nuts. So I really admire you for that. And I, I just love that you're always learning you know there's a saying that says that we don't stop learning because we grow old we grow old because we stop learning and you just seem to every time I meet you just know more that you can share and it's it's it's, I wish you were you know regularly lecturing more at True North not just at the holidays because I really enjoy uh, learning the kind of things that you have to talk about so please write more articles at least you know okay Uh, I I, think you know once I can retire from doing this all the the book work that I've been doing, I, I think I will spend more time yeah. you know, writing and and, uh, and speaking at the center. Um, just out of curiosity, because I do enjoy it. Yeah, no, you're you're really good, and I, I just out of curiosity, because you you appear very young and very fit and healthful. Um, do you personally fast? Yes, I fast every year. I do a short fast, you know, five days. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it once a year, usually early spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I I try to do it around the time of Lent um, because oh. it seems like that's a time like in our in our prehistory. Uh, you know, the end of the winter it's just becoming spring, but all the the new foods that grow aren't available yet, and it's probably the time of year that humans most uh, most likely uh, suffered from from hunger. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a it's a, and it's a good way. It's like spring cleaning, also. You know, sure. To get ready for the for the new season, and um, so I fast. Yeah, I, I fast once a year uh, for five days, and then I do intermittent fasting. Well, I do the 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 window narrow window mm-hmm. almost all the time. Yeah. I, I typically uh, I anywhere from eight to six hours. I, I, sometimes I I uh, you know depending on what I have to do. I may start eating at 10 or I may start eating at 12 and I never eat after 6. Yeah, that's I think and that's then, advice. You know, we we had Dr. Clapper on the show who is one of the medical doctors at True North and he talked about just in general just not eating after dinner. That's such a huge thing for and people can't seem to do it. No, they can't. No. Uh, um so what I have it now, you know, I look at the well, clock. If it's after six, no, that's it. what I do. Sometimes we don't eat until seven because of my husband's work schedule. But I really made it a habit that, you know, after dinner, you know, we have a piece of fruit and that's it. Kitchen clothes, brush the teeth, you know. Yeah, yes, that's a really good one, brush the teeth. And <laughs> you know, and I also do some of these, uh, the five two, you know, um, have a <laughs> five hundred calorie day. I don't do it every week. I, I, I just some sometimes, especially if I know. 
I have a, a trip coming up or something that's going to interfere, I'll throw in a few of these uh, you know, really low calorie days mm-hmm. just to you know just to kind of so, prime myself. That, so on these low calorie days, what are you eating? Because what let our listeners know that whether you're doing intermittent fasting or not, you're following the True North diet, which is a health promoting diet of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, a little bit of nuts and seeds, and no sugar, oil, salt. So you're eating the healthiest diet when you are eating. Right. Right. And, you and on like, those 500 uh, calorie days, I really concentrate uh, on steamed vegetables, raw vegetables, mm. um, and legumes. Nice. I try to avoid the grains. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I may have a little bit of avocado or a few nuts, but you know, 500 calories doesn't get you very far. Not so enough. Mostly, yeah. If I mostly, if I have made a pot of beans, I'll have you know a bowl of beans. And then I'll steam a bunch of vegetables, and then I'll make a nice salad. Yeah. And that's about it. Yep. Five hundred um, calories worth of that. What's what now? I, I imagine having access to the True North Kitchen, you probably don't cook very much because you can get all your your meal there if you want, right? I can. It's just that I live a half hour away. Oh, okay. So you do actually have to. So, what's your favorite food? Yeah, I do favorite, cook. What's your favorite thing to eat? Favorite thing to eat? Oh, yeah. fresh cooked brown rice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do love rice. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I really it, like that. It, it was so funny because you know I find that the simpler you eat, the more simple foods taste good. And I was interviewed for a podcast yesterday, and they said, "What are your three favorite dishes?" You know, because I'm a chef and I'm trying to like go through my cookbook and like, is it lasagna? What is it? And I'm thinking, well, my favorite foods are sweet potatoes, rice, and bananas. I mean, because they taste so good <laughs> to me. You know, and not and just just eating them as is. So you know, it's I just want people to know that there is hope wherever they are in their journey to optimum health. And and I think a big step for anybody could be going to True North and learning what I learned because I really thank you and Dr. Goldhammer for uh, founding this place over 30 years ago. I wish I had heard about it sooner. I probably could have had more significant changes sooner, but I'm I'm just so thankful that you're there. Now, if our listeners want to find out more about True North, where's the best place we can send them? Uh, We have a website. um, Okay. What is it? It's healthpromoting.com www.healthpromoting.com. So that's great. And and Dr. Goldhammer has said that if they fill out the online intake form, that he's happy to give them a brief phone consultation uh, free of charge to see sure. if, if, it's yes. a, if it's the right fit for them. Yes. yes. And, and, but he and, really does need them to fill out the paperwork first. Sure. Because right. uh, otherwise he doesn't know. Very time-consuming uh, to get that information. Right. Exactly. Uh, in a consultation. And, and if you want to hear Dr. Morano speak, when she does speak at True North is when I'm there, which is at the True North Holiday Health Cooking Extravaganza. It's in 2015, it's going to be from December 21st through January 2nd. It's a really fun time because we're not concentrating on the fasting. We're concentrating more on the cooking and the fun. So you get to hear Dr. Morano speak in person and you get to spend some time with me. It's been just an absolute pleasure talking to you. I just find you so inspiring and just so knowledgeable. And, and it's, it's totally obvious why Dr. Goldhammer married you. You're a brainiac just like him. You know, you really know the science and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're just terrific. So thank you you so much and i want to thank you all for listening to healthy living i'm chef aj and i make healthy taste delicious thank you so much dr morano okay thank you